Welcome to the College Metropolis Podcast. This is where parents of high school kids learn how to engage, guide, and empower their kids as they go through the college admissions process. And now your hosts, a college admissions pro and a college professor, Hankel and Anthony Cadavid. Before we begin, we would like to ask you a question. Did you already subscribe to the podcast? If you haven't, please take a moment to click on the subscribe button on the platform you use to download this episode. Subscribing ensures that you'll stay up to date on new episodes. It also helps our show be found more easily by other people who may not be aware of it. You can also help our show greatly by letting other parents know about us and by leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other platform you may have used to listen to the podcast. Your review will let those platforms know we are providing valuable content and it will help others find us more easily. Thank you. Welcome to episode number 82, What is a Teaching University? Questions to ask to determine if you should apply to teaching universities or research universities, the experience at Amherst College in Massachusetts. So let's start by saying that regardless of what college or university you attend, all colleges and universities teach. They all teach. And really, in all of them, you are going to see some level of research. But that doesn't make a college a teaching institution or a research institution. We are going to see today that to be able to call yourself a teaching institution or a research institution, there are some behaviors that should be taking place. There are some commitments that should be made. There are some activities that should take place in those institutions day in and day out. Yeah, so let's begin by clarifying that all institutions teach, like you said, and to some degree, all institutions have conducted some type of research in in small departments, in large departments. It just... it. It is natural for an institution to teach, obviously, and it is natural also for institutions to do research. Right. And so today we're going to talk about teaching institutions, right? On the last episode, episode number 81, we talked about research institutions. We talked about the Carnegie classification system and how it allows you to see if an institution is a tier one or a tier two or a tier three research institution. Today, we're going to talk about teaching institutions. Right. So hypothetically, a school may call itself either a research institution or a teaching institution. And to see what they really are, we have to take a serious look at how committed, I think that's the word that we're looking for, how committed they are to either research or teaching, right? And what we are going to present to you today are the high levels of activity that teaching colleges or universities are committed to. They they do this on a daily basis. It surrounds the way they function and they do it consistently. So these activities are planned and they spend money. They actually spend money. They budget for this to make sure that these activities are carried out so that students receive the teaching and the support they go to receive at these types of schools. And just like we would look up a college or university in the Carnegie classification system. Yeah, the one I was just talking about. Right, to see whether 
again, and I'm going to review just because it helps, right? To see whether a school received an R1, R2, or R3 classification, meaning the tiers you talked about. So tier one is very high research activity. Tier two is high research activity. Or tier three is moderate research activity, right? And in the same way, we could look at a school and see how committed, again, that big word, committed they are to the activities we will share here today and see if they can be considered teaching institutions. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, it's funny how many institutions say, we are a teaching institution. We prioritize as far as the learning that takes place in the classroom. But then you look at what they do to back up those claims, and you realize that it's not more than just lip service. Mm. So today we're going to talk about how you could find out if an institution is really a teaching university or college. And we're going to show you Amherst College, which is one of the most renowned institutions for being a teaching institution. Mm. So let's let's uh, talk about something that I think you guys will find very interesting. The need to distinguish between teaching and research schools gained a lot of importance after an article appeared in the Chicago Tribune newspaper. There was a reporter, his name is Ron Grossman, and he wrote an opinion article in 2016 that for the most part criticized the state of higher education. And as always, for everything we talk about on this and in every episode, we will have a link to those articles or whatever we talk about on the show notes to the episode, in this case, episode number 82. And what Ron Grossman said basically was he outlined the awful experience that some students were receiving as part of their higher education. Mm. In other words, the awful experiences they were going through at the colleges or universities to which they attended. And so he talked about students attending classes in huge, large lecture halls, hundreds of students at a time, students and professors who didn't have meaningful interactions, Mm. students that were taught by adjunct instructors or teaching assistants, but not really by professors. He also talked about the cost of attending college rising steadily while the quality of education was actually declining. Mm. And he talked about universities that focus on research rather than instruction, etc. So when I was reading this, I thought about it and I remembered how in the past students will talk about, you know, you might have heard this, you might have heard this or seen it in movies or people who went to college who said this, oh man, I didn't have to go to class. I never went to class. I just went and took the tests and I passed the class. So when I hear that, that to me is an indication that that is probably not a teaching institution. Maybe just a college where people go and, you know, you check in the boxes, took the test, passed it and passed the course. And, you know, I got to tell you, I don't like that because there are some students that learn how to manage a class and they could literally just give the professor what the professor wants to see by way of a test or a quiz or whatever. And there are students that will manage the class, but will not learn some of the things that that student is supposed to have learned by taking that class. Right. So in this article that was written by Ron Grossman, he said some of the very same things that were being reported by other journalists. He talked about how some universities to try to save money 
were making extensive use of adjunct faculty, that is part-time faculty, as instructors at the undergraduate level. Now, why is that a problem? That is a problem because at the undergraduate level is where you should have professors that are the most experienced, that should be the most knowledgeable in terms of teaching students who are struggling. Right. And so what this guy said, again, voicing what other journalists had said, is a lot of these institutions to save money instead of hiring a professor full-time and perhaps doing all the things that that requires, instead of doing that, they will just hire a professor part-time. The professor will come, teach the class, get paid for that class, and that's it. That's the end of it. Right. And I think the issue lies in the fact that undergraduate programs are there to give you the fundamental knowledge or critical thinking skills that you exactly. need that can be provided by someone that is experienced as a, as a full-time exactly. professor. But when you run into the adjunct situation, some adjuncts have other jobs. They have other like professions. full-time jobs, exactly, other professions. And so they have another life, and this is just, for them, it's either additional... It could it's just be an additional job. Income, right? right? Or it could be because, yes, they like it, but it's not their full-time profession Look, to teach. I am a full-time professor in one of the colleges where I teach, and I am an adjunct at another college where I teach. Mm -hmm. At both institutions, I have been teaching for more than 15 years. In one, since 2014, so that means I've been teaching for 18 years. Sorry, since 2004. So that means I've been teaching for 16, 18 years. And at the other, I've been teaching since 2008. So that is what? 14 years. Right. And at the one where I'm an adjunct, I've never been instructed. I've never been told how to teach. Mm. I was just thrown into a classroom. And at the time, I was a marketing professional. Right. And from one day to the next, they said, can you teach this marketing class? I said, sure. And... I expected to go through some workshop and learn how to, you know, deal with students who just up until a few weeks before taking my class, they were high school students Correct. who probably did not do so well before they graduated high school right? or didn't have the skills, didn't have the skills. And so you are there as a freshman, let's say most, yeah, most exactly. freshmen, right? Coming in to take these classes from an adjunct professor that hasn't taken a workshop but it's supposed to teach me how to manage a syllabus, how to organize my, my homework assignments, exactly. my exams, etc. Yeah, exactly. So the thing is that I taught at that college for four years before another college hired me in 2008. And they provided me a ton of instruction. So I got to see the difference between being a full-time faculty member right. and an adjunct faculty member. And how that affects your classroom. Of course. Right. And so I am, as I was reading this, as we were putting together this episode, I could totally see how when those universities to try to save some money and I'm not, listen, I'm not judging them. It's not a judgment against them. I understand they had to make some decisions, but when at the undergraduate level, they choose to bring in professors who don't have experience teaching and they put those professors in front of a class of students who up until a few weeks before were in high school, if a professor is not trained as to how to deal with them, well, the whole institution really might be doing a disservice to those students. And so one of the things that we are going to talk about today is the fact that at teaching institutions, the opposite should happen. Professors, especially at the undergraduate level, are going to be fully committed 
to teaching those students, those undergraduates. Teaching at a teaching institution is not just teaching. It's teaching in a way that reaches out to all of those undergraduate students, especially, and gives them the tools, the interactions. The professor engages them in such a way that it all comes together as an incredible teaching experience. So I'm going to continue here talking about this article written by Ron Grossman. Uh, again, an article that appeared in the Chicago Tribune. And they talked about how teaching positions of full-time instructors had dropped by huge percentages from 1975 to 2011. And this, this actually struck a chord. He talked about the issue of the superstar professor. And this is at institutions that perhaps are not teaching institutions. They might be something else. I don't want to say they are research institutions necessarily, because there are some research institutions where the teaching is pretty great. But I think these are some institutions that are kind of confused. They're not teaching institutions. They do some research, but they kind of don't do either one of the two the right way. And again, this speaks to the importance of you doing your research and make sure you go to a college that will meet your needs. But in this article, Ron Grossman talked about the issue of the superstar professors. What do I mean by superstar professors? Well, they are professors whose pictures and biographical summaries are featured in the institution's brochures and on their websites. They devote the greater part of their time to pursuing research grants and honors and to publishing the results of their work in books and prestigious scholarly journals with time out for the occasional interview with some popular publication in the press. But in doing so, they avoid as much as possible any contact mm. with undergraduate students. And the reason why this struck a chord is that I actually saw this with my own eyes. And unfortunately, and not to come down hard on research institutions, because there are some research institutions that do a great job, But at some of them, this could be normal. I remember when I went to I went to a research institution. I used to work for a company. This is before I became a professor, before I even began teaching, period. So this is before 2004. And I was working for one of the biggest business publishers in the world. And I had to talk with a professor at one of the leading research universities in California. I went to talk to him. And I couldn't talk to him because outside of his office, there were some of the biggest media reporters from the biggest networks that were waiting to talk to him. And so after he was done talking to him, he had to call in. I kid you not. He had to call in. So on his phone, he will call in this editorial sort of piece that he spoke into the phone and was being... Transcribed? or No, it was being played in the air, like it was live. So he would use the phone to call this radio station once a week. And he will talk about the state of affairs in California's economy. Wow. And and so that will come out on this very popular radio station once a week. And so I had to wait until, I forget what networks they were, but they must, might have been the big ones. And then after that, I had to wait till he was done with his radio show before I could speak to him, we had an appointment. I had to wait my appointment. I, we never made it at the time we were supposed to meet. Mm. 
And so imagine now this is one of the professors who taught you know the some of the heavy classes at this university. So imagine being a student in his class. Mm. I can assure you that those students are dealing with a lot of teaching assistants and again teaching assistants as we said on the previous episode they're great. They are students who more than likely are, are working on their PhDs on their doctorate programs in that field. So they're great people. And perhaps students are getting even a better education from them than they would from the professor in some cases. But, you know, the interaction between the professor and the students is just not going to happen. Right. And it's just not going to happen. And there are some students that don't need that interaction, but quite a bit do. Now, here's the thing, though. Here is my issue with the TAs, though. And that issue is that they might be teaching those classes for the first time. Correct. Or they might be doing it with very little training. So they're going in there as sort of like, you know, they might be teaching and and I'm sure they'll do a good job. But it's kind of like going back to that example, that issue we were talking about when we said that for some adjunct professors, they just kind of throw you in there. Right. Without any training. Right. And, you know, you have to take everything into consideration, right? What type of student you are, uh, how your study skills are, what benefits you the most, right? And if you consider everything and take all these things in mind that we're saying, you are able to pinpoint, yes, this is good for me. Yes, this is not. You know yourself, right? We're not pushing. You have to go to teaching institutions. You have to go to no, research we're institutions. Not doing that. We're, we're not doing that. We're here to provide information. And so then that- you make your decision based on who you are. Correct. So with all of this in mind, most of the information we are presenting here came from an article that was written by three professors at the University of Chicago. They did research and they published an article that outlined the characteristics of a teaching institution. So these guys who read the article from the Chicago Tribune, who were professors at a teaching institution at the Paul University in Chicago, Illinois, These professors, they did research and wrote an article that was published in the Journal of Academic Administration in Higher Education. And this is the article from which we got most of the information we're presenting to you guys here. And again, as we always say, the link to this article is going to be on the show notes. So, And and they, they, they basically outline what a teaching university needs to have. Yes, and they present definitions that others have written about what a teaching college or university is. So institutions that offer quality, as in getting the most value for the money that you pay. This means that the schools are accountable. That's a big word here to consider. They are accountable for the education they give to the students, meaning that there is ample evidence that the students become educated and they are able to do what they're supposed to do when they learn it, right? So institutions that offer quality that make students fit to meet different learning outcomes. So in other words, their students are assessed and these students demonstrate that they did benefit from these learning experiences at these very specific teaching institutions. So quality as transforming. This definition of quality leads to concerns about the institution's ability to transform students' perceptions of the world, as well as teachers' perceptions of their roles as teachers. Yeah, and you know what? It it sounds so simple. 
It is so easy to read this or to just talk about it very quickly mm-hmm. and ignore things that are huge. When we talk about transformational experiences in the classroom, we're talking about stuff that is not just showing up for the test. No. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm not going to go to class. I'm just going to show up for midterm one, midterm two, and the final and pass the class. Right. Because nothing that else is That is a joke. That's not education. That's not tra- transforming. It's not transformational. You're yeah. not being transformed. Right. What we're talking about here, what, what, what these institutions are doing is they have professors who are trained in creating learning experiences in the classroom. Yes. For which you have to be present, which you will more than likely enjoy because those professors will know you personally. And they might actually customize the class to fit the needs that each of you in the class has. So the main point of being at a teaching institution, literally, is these are transformative experiences, meaning that you're going to walk in the classroom as one person, and because of those experiences, you will walk out, you will finish the course transformed, meaning you will have gained knowledge, apply critical thinking, and become someone more well-versed, more well-trained, more well-whatever it is that you want to call it, but you will be changed by these experiences. So these definitions lead to a unified definition that says, so this article defines it as such, a teaching institution is a university or college whose culture places primary importance on education as a transformative experience for learners and Instruction. How cool is that? It's a transformative experience, not just for the learners, but also for the instructors. Instru- that is really cool. And as I, you know, I got to tell you, we both went to the same university for our undergraduate degree. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing part of this episode, my part of the episode. And it was that one of the things that the university we went to, one of the things we got from it is that we are global citizens. That when somebody in America sneezes, Africa catches a cold and vice versa. We affect each other. They did a lot of experiential activities that allowed us to engage people from other countries. In some episodes back, I talked about Global Village, which is an incredible event that one of our professors taught on campus. He used to teach religion and sociology type of courses. Dr. Teal, Dr. Charles Teal, who I loved. And he basically divided the entire main area of the campus into different countries. And people from those countries, like they flew in from Kenya and from Iceland and from Spain and from all of, the, all of these places, they came And they built basic like huts or basic living places and with their own clothes and with their own sort of ways of doing things. So you would go around the entire area visiting, you know, within a few steps, you'll see Spain. And then you took some other other steps and you'll get into Kenya. And then you'll visit a family from Nigeria. And you'll visit Brazil and all of these other places. And what the professor wanted us to understand was that we owe it to each other to take care of our planet, to take care of each other. And because this was a Christian institution, 
to be good stewards of this thing that was put in our hands, meaning the world, right? Right. And I got to tell you, that coupled with some of the speakers who used to come to speak to us and we were required to go to those talks. One of them was Dr. Tony Campolo. He changed the way I saw the world. And it's kind of a crazy thing because it affected my Christianity. And listen, I know this is not a podcast about that. I'm just telling you about the experiences I went to as a student at a teaching institution. And it affected me greatly because it allowed me to see that as a citizen of the world, I had a responsibility to those who didn't have the resources I have at my disposal here in the United States of America. Right. And let's let's also note, right, that we came from a very limited, exposed background. Right. I mean, we knew our country, and then we came to the United States, and that was our limit right. to understanding the vast universe. We came here as kids, little right? kids. And so when you have these eye-opening experiences, they're created. They right. are planned. Like like they said, they're they are budgeted. They are they are purposeful so that you walk away transformed. Exactly. And I think that that is the beauty of what teaching institutions can be if that is what you choose. Now, if you want to major specifically in research, it would behoove you exactly. to go to a research yeah. institution. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. So here's the thing. The article goes further and outlines the objectives and the actions that teaching universities must follow and the objectives and actions that they must be committed to carrying out. So I'm going to list a few of them. And these are things that you should see at a teaching institution. So here we go. A teaching college or university focuses on how students are taught. It focuses on providing students with support. It focuses on ensuring that students are successful in their education. Okay, so I'm talking about how students are taught. That means that the professor is going to know the students, is going to know whether this student is an auditory learner or a visual learner or a kinetic learner, and he is going to provide those experiences. It doesn't mean he's going to be there babysitting. But he is going to take all of that into consideration. And then the, the issue of support, listen, these are institutions that have learning centers, tutoring, everything that students need to develop their skills. Now, teaching universities are devoted to the development of students. That's the transformational part that we were talking about earlier. They train students to be able to do things with what they have learned. That's a huge thing now in education. It's not just teaching things. It's having people who learn things, okay? Teaching is nothing more than me telling you something. You know information. Listen, I could tell you how to change the brakes on your car just by telling you, and I could give you a test and you will pass the test. And then you will go change those brakes and you will create a mess because you don't know how to do it. You know about it. You learn the steps on paper. You don't know the practical aspects of doing it. And so teaching institutions focus, again, on training students to be able to do the things that they are supposed to be learning. They give students what they need to, to be successful at what they are setting out to do. So listen, if you are a sociology major, well, you're going to learn how to go out there and do some sociology, whatever that means, or a dentist 
or a doctor or a business person, whatever it is that you are getting trained to do. Now, teaching institutions do not focus on research. And because of that, they usually do not get huge grants for research. That's just not their focus. Even though I have to say they will still do some research. It's just not a big part of what they do. Because let me tell you, not all research requires huge amounts of money to be carried out. I remember one of our professors, and we actually had the same professor for finance, Dr. George Ogum. Loved him. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you know, we're getting to an age where a lot of our professors have passed away already. That's terrible. And and he passed away. He was too young to go. Both Dr. Charles Teal that we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. and, and Dr. George Ogum, They both died too young. And he used to do research just sitting at his desk. He was from Nigeria, and he used to do research that had to do with the world of finance in Africa and other places and in America as well. But I I, I know this because I went to his office one time, and I knew when he was doing research because his office will be half open, half closed. He never had the door fully closed. This is not during office hours. During office hours, his doors were wide open. When he was busy, I mean, listen to what I'm telling you. This is a teaching institution. He is super busy and the door is half open because he didn't want any student who wanted to talk to him to not be able to talk to him. Mm -hmm. So even though he was doing heavy research and he had dozens, if not hundreds of other articles laying around the whole floor of his office, even though he was super busy, His door was still open so I could go in there and ask whatever question I had. So he was doing research even at this teaching institution, right? Now, another thing is teaching colleges and universities, they spend their money on things that allow students to learn and learn better, right? To ensure that students enjoy the best learning environment. So what they do is they have smaller student-faculty ratios, meaning they have smaller class sizes. For me as an instructor, if I want to provide the type of learning experience to the students in my class, I cannot have a class with 300 students. That's just an impossibility. So usually at these institutions, class size is a lot smaller. And they have instructors that are accessible. And I can tell you from personal experience that the professors at these institutions, they truly care. I had more than one interaction with professors of mine that blurred the line between, you know, at at, at some point you kind of say to yourself, you you forget that this is a professor. I mean, they care so much about you and they're so interested in you and your future and to make sure you do well that you kind of see them as family. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. These are professors that provide direct instruction. They engage the students and they provide opportunities for personal and professional enrichment. Yes, and and they provide a lot of student support. They have plenty of tutoring centers, like you said, writing centers and more practical support. This is what, what teaching institutions do, practical support in areas like writing and exam preparation, which is it's part of your transformation. Right. And because these are the priorities of these teaching institutions, they may not spend money in other ways. So, for example, they may not have the best sports program or they're not competing in the highest collegiate sports divisions or they may not have the most amazing student centers with. I mean, trust me, we've seen some of these amazing schools and you're just (laughs) "Ah, what? (laughs) 
right? It's like or a luxury hotel or, or other something. types of super advanced uh, facilities, stuff, yeah. right? So they may not have that, but they do have the support. Now, it doesn't need. mean they're chumpy places. They're no. great places. Sure. They just might not be as awesome as some of these other universities that are research institutions. Sure. Th- that could afford those type of right. facilities, right? So keeping in mind that for professors at research universities, teaching is one of the responsibilities that they may have along with having to actually do the research. And publishing these research findings and other articles. So they have to, it's part of what they do, right? At at research universities. Right. And so they have to dedicate time for these things. While at teaching colleges and universities, faculty members are strongly encouraged to make teaching and engaging with students a top priority. No, the top priority. The top priority, correct. I got to tell you, man, I'm not made to be a professor at a research university. I am made to be in a teaching institution because that is the number one reason why I got into teaching. Actually, the number one reason I got into teaching (laughs) is because I was invited. (laughs) At first, I didn't want to do it because I had a career, right? I I had a marketing career outside of teaching. And then when I started teaching, I found myself innately providing students these experiences and I saw them grow and develop and that's when I said, oh my gosh, I don't know. I remember I had a conversation with you at the time and I said, I don't know what this is, but man, I love it. <laughs> I get a high off of it kind of thing, you know, like I can't stop doing it. Teaching. Teaching. And then, but, <laughs> but now I realize, you know, it's not just teaching, it's this type of teaching. Right. So according to the article, and this is probably more than you guys bargained for, but so I'm just going to go very quickly here. According to the article, there are some specific activities that demonstrate that a college or university is a teaching institution. Listen, I don't care if they talk about them being teaching institutions. If they're not doing any of these things I'm going to mention here, they are not teaching institutions. Number one, they have high-level administrative support, meaning the administration of the college is there to support those kinds of learning experiences. Yes, and that that further goes into, it tentacles into financial aid support. Exactly, it everything. It goes into your acceptance, into your registration, into your academics. But but also, if, if I am a professor and I say, hey, I want to take my students to the Apple campus, right? Mm-hmm. Then the university is going to do everything possible for me to be able to do that right. or to bring a specific speaker to address some issue that is hot at the moment, etc. Et so the number two, the university or the college adopts a broader definition of scholarship, right? So it's not just learning stuff, it's being able to do stuff, it's being able to go through those learning experiences that are transformational. It, oh, check it out, number three, it includes a teaching demonstration as part of the hiring process. Mm. So because teaching for them is so important, when they hire someone, they don't care about how many articles you published and all of these other things. They have you teach in front of the people that are going to hire you. A mock lecture, yes. A mock lecture, which I have done, actually. And I loved it because I was in my... Element. Element, yeah. Number four, they have frequent interactions and collaboration and communication amongst faculty. I can tell you that... At some research institutions, communication between faculty members is not the greatest because they are all competing for the same funds. Right. So a lot of them are like, (laughs) Number five, a teaching demonstration is used to evaluate candidates for teaching positions. 
So again, that's before you're hired, you have to do a demonstration. When they do teaching evaluations, right? These are the evaluations that we receive as teachers. Somebody would sit and watch you teach and watch the interaction between you and your students. They have supportive and effective departmental chairpersons. That is your boss. So your boss in your department. So in my department, the boss is usually very, very, very supportive. And they have a very rigorous evaluation of teaching that is including as part of the tenure and promotion decisions. Absolutely. So before you are promoted, before you're given tenure as a professor, that means that you are not just a full-time professor, but a professor that is there until you die. (laughs) No one can fire you. You're just going to be there doing a lot of good work. So before they evaluate you and decide that that should be given to you, they see you teach. So everything hinges on your teaching. Correct. So So there's no such thing as, I'm sorry, students, I'm not going to see you for the next six months because I'm going to do research. No, 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 no. You could do research, but your primary focus is teaching those students. Correct. So here are some factors and questions to consider to determine whether a teaching institution or a research university would be the right choice for you, right? So we're, we're talking about these differences, but now how practically does it affect you? So which of the two provides you with more with what you will need to succeed? So if you are looking forward to, for example, instructors that are engaging, classes where professors consider things like your background, your experience, what you want to do with your life, as they prepare their lectures, when they consider all these things, that's it, it's valuable to you as a student that's learning, right? Because it affects you directly. For example, if you want to receive great support for furthering developing your skills or classes that are practical, in other words, classes that will teach you precisely how to put into practice what you learn in real life. So classes perhaps that are smaller, a nurturing environment. So those type of things. Yeah, if you're if, looking forward to those things, then what you should choose is a teaching institution. Conversely, if you're looking for research opportunities, which may be very important for the major that you're considering, right? Or if you are looking for access to research facilities, access to recognized faculty, that you want to work with or you you want to be taught by in a specific field that you are interested in, then you should consider a research institution. Right, exactly, exactly. So very quickly, let's explore a school that is very recognized for being a fantastic, a great teaching institution. And I'm talking about Amherst College in Massachusetts. And I am going to go over their website and I'm going to show you a few things that they have on their website. I don't think they meant to do it to show that they are a teaching institution. They just did it because they are who they are. But I want you to see what they have on their website to see what a teaching institution is. So let's start with what they call their open curriculum. And it says, Amherst has no distribution requirements and no core curriculum. Instead, they allow their students to choose courses that matter the most to them. Their open curriculum ensures that each classroom, listen to this, each classroom is filled with inquisitive, fully engaged students committed to the topic at hand. So, for example, let's take your class into consideration. In a school that has curriculum that is very 
Rigid. Rigid. You are going to have students in there that perhaps may not. They don't give one cent of a care about my course. Perhaps, but right. it's an elective that they could take and they're just going to take it because it, it uses up their units. Right. And it's frustrating to you because you're saying, this is an amazing topic. I'm giving you everything I've got teaching you. But they don't care about it. <laughs> but they don't. And it's because they're not fully engaged. And why? Exactly. It's not because it's not important to them. So with this in mind, consider how beautiful it would be to be in a classroom teaching students that find your lectures, your material, your passion equally as exciting as you do. Exactly. And so how much more learning can take place in a classroom where you have complete buy-in from the students? Yeah, look at this. At Amherst, they allow them to do that. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And that's why they have what? Inquisitive, meaning they are just willing to learn, asking questions, fully engaged students committed to the topic at hand. Amherst offers more than 850 courses and the five college consortiums they have offer thousands more. So how do students choose among all those options? And listen to this. Our accomplished approachable faculty. Ooh, what kind of faculty? Approachable. Approachable faculty. At Amherst, if you go and a faculty member is a jerk and doesn't want to talk to you, they get in trouble. Right. So they're going to be approachable and they hire the right people. Right. So they are going to be approachable and they are committed to serving as advisors and mentors during the course selection process. You know why I love this? Because at many colleges, when you don't have faculty members, but you actually have some counselors that help you select courses for your major, a lot of times they're just following a guide, Mm -hmm. but they're not talking to you based on experience. Or your needs. Or your needs. That would be best for you. Now, these professors, not only are they going about it based on your needs and what's better for you, they're going about it based on what they know about you. And and based on what you want to do with your life, they oh, will guide fantastic. you in that direction. Yes. Fantastic. I, lo- I love this. Look at this. Flexibility and independence. Our curriculum offers flexibility and independence. It rewards initiative. Students take full responsibility for their intellectual growth. Mm. I love that. Mm-hmm. In the same way that they will take responsibility for important choices later in Jeez. life. In other words... They're treating you like an adult. I should have gone there. Every time we, we oh. every time we cover colleges or majors, we're like, ah, I wish I wish I had majored in that. Should have gone there. Many students decide to double major with no core of requirements. Course. They Why are able. You? They're able to choose two majors and still have enough time to explore other disciplines. You know why they allow you to do this? Because they want you to have experiences, learning experiences. By the way, oh, you're going to love this. They have a very robust study abroad program. Hello. They are also able to consider a broader range of study abroad programs. So look at this. They say this. They put this on their website. This is not the faculty page. This is not the faculty page that you're going to read. This is still under curriculum. It says the faculty is here to guide you. Students are not in this alone. Faculty advisors offer close guidance as students shape their own education. The open curriculum also allows professors to quickly adapt courses to new developments in their fields. You know what sucks is when you take a class 
and the professors are still talking about something that happened in 1972. Oh, I had so many of those. Oh, man, I don't like that. Because it's like, you know, I like that you had that, that you had that experience. Mm -hmm. I don't like that you didn't keep up with the world. Yeah. It's 2022 already. We had one teacher in particular. And I think we're thinking about the same the one. The same maybe. one. And it was when he was a baby. So he was probably six, maybe 70 when he was teaching us. Yeah. But he would talk about when he was a baby, moved to China. Oh, I know. Uh, you know what? We were talking about the same person. <laughs> okay. And so, and the Chinese market and things that happened in China in the 70s, precisely right. what you said. And it was, I started college in 2000. So I didn't know. Yeah, well, and then he used to talk about some experience he had in some airport in another continent. And I'm like, okay, cool, man, that you participated in the building and in the... He was an econ economics professor. <laughs> yes. And so he participated in this economic research before they opened or they built this airport. I get it. But he could never bring up, like, you know, real-life current, current, current examples. So look, in, look, at, look at what they're telling you at Amherst. The open curriculum allows professors to quickly adapt courses to new developments in their fields and to the evolving interests of the students. So again, they want you to be able to do something with the information you are learning. So they have to be able to say, this is how it's basically playing out in the real world. Yeah, and they have invested in this method, right? And they, there's a result. There's a reasoning why they As a do professor, this. you have to work harder. Right. Okay, because you have to be constantly looking out and reading newspapers and reading articles and seeing what's out there. But look at this. The result is well-rounded students who work extensively within their majors while also exploring the many other courses that spark their curiosities. That's that might tell you something. I was a business major, right? I got... A couple of degrees in business. One is business, one is marketing management. Now, I am going to tell you that some of the courses where I had the most fun, I, I loved these courses. They had a lot to do with the person I am today, were sociology and philosophy. Hmm. Sociology and philosophy. And they you were changed. a business major? I'm a business <laughs> major, man. In fact, I had a conversation with one of my professors and I said I wanted my philosophy professor I, I was an undergrad and I said I really think I may want to do graduate work in philosophy and he says what do you mean like getting a master's degree in philosophy and I said yes and he says yeah don't do that go back and get your MBA <laughs> <laughs> hey you had a caring teacher. but you know what yes because he knew me and he says look I get that you are you know I had just discovered Aristotle. Right. So I, you know, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, and some others, right? And so I loved Aristotle. That's the guy I identified with. And so I, man, his philosophy and everything, just it just, it just reached me on a personal note. And I wanted to keep on going. And the professor said, you know, if you do a, a master's degree in philosophy, it is not going to be all Aristotle. It's going to be a bunch of other things that you're not interested in. And honestly, you're doing so well in business. And then he knew me. He knew me. Mm -hmm. So he knew that I was elated with what I had just discovered. But he kind of persuaded me to not go in that route. And, you know, that class was so interesting because at the time, my professor of philosophy also happened to be the president of the university. 
And guess how many students were in that class? Two. Two. <laughs> Two of us. Oh, I answered only because you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And at no point could either one of us be absent. No. Because if one of us was absent, then 50% of the class would be absent. And, and you had to answer all the questions. <laughs> right. But but here's the, the, the tough thing about this class was that we had to read entire books from one class session to the next. So this was a quarter system school. So you had Tuesday, Thursday classes. Tuesday, Monday, Thursday Wednesday. classes. That's it. And so sometimes oh, if it's from Thursday to Tuesday, no yeah, problem. you could read the book. But when it was Tuesday to Thursday, holy smokes, you have to read everything, man. You have to read The Republic. <laughs> Plato's Republic or whatever, Thomas Aquinas. And so then when I read Thomas Aquinas, you know, I, that's when I said, oh, okay, I, I see what he was saying when he said, a master's in philosophy is not going to be just Aristotle. <laughs> this is heavy, man. Heavy because I didn't care for it. But those are two classes. So I didn't care about what Aquinas had to say, but I care about what the other guys had to say. But those were two classes that kind of changed me. Mm-hmm. Change the way I see the world. Yeah, so let's continue with this, right? So on speaking to the faculty member that kind of guided you, this is what's on the website of Amherst College, right? It says about their faculty. And again, these links are will be provided in the show no- notes for this episode. So Amherst College faculty are foremost authorities in their fields, yet are exceptionally approachable. Our students work with them from their first year through graduation and often beyond to choose courses, conduct research, and make career decisions. Imagine that. That's incredible. Yes. Then further, it says experiential learning. This is what we have been talking about. This is what speaks to you and, and, and my type of study skills, my, our preferences, right? Again, you could have different preferences. Just understand what a teaching institution would do for you. So at Amherst, it says here again, link is provided. At Amherst, we set our students and graduates on the path to be engaged, effective, and innovative problem solvers in their communities and workplaces. We support learning, inquiry, and action inside and out of the curriculum. Learning by doing takes many forms, such as undergraduate research, laboratory, and field experiences, courses that involve community work, study abroad, travel with a class, internships and fellowships, capstone projects, creative endeavors, and involvement in student organizations. I mean, again, we want to reiterate, you know yourself, you know where you want to be and who you want to become. And just knowing the differences And understanding, you know, we've said it before, find the right college fit for you. Yes, this is another thing to consider. What type of institution am I going to blossom in? Which one am I going to take the best experiences from because of who I want to become and where I want my life to take me? So consider this as well when you're making a decision of which is the best fit college or university for you. Exactly, exactly. Wow. That was a great episode. I think we're going to stop right here. But wow, you know, here's why I'm wowing so much. And that is that as I, as I was hearing you talk, I, I remembered things I hadn't thought about for more than 20 years. 
And it's, you know, it's, it's incredible, you know, not just the professors that are no longer with us, but those experiences that, that we had. And I got to be honest with you, when I was a student, I kind of, you know, I didn't know how good I had it. Right. I thought that's the way education happened in every single college and university. And it really is not. Yeah. I mean, I had such great interactions with professors. I remember there was a professor that at the time had the same, we had the same type of car. And, but his was the, you know, the top of the line and mine wasn't. <laughs> and so every time we will come out of class, it, 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 was, a, it was an ongoing joke. He would say to me, so how's your car with the cloth seats, right? And I would say, oh, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, since I don't have leather seats, when I go into my super hot car, because it's super hot in the summer, I'm not burning my legs. (laughs) And so we had this back and forth banter. And it was so, so super cool. He was a tough professor. He was a graduate of Stanford University. Mm. And I remembered I, I... I was the one of the top two students in his whole class. And the class was super tough. It was a history class. He was a history professor. And I remember I took a, a midterm and the midterm, you know, it was one of those blue books. So you had to write pages and pages yes, for every single. Responses. It was like five questions, mm-hmm. you know, and you had to answer in essay form. And he graded you on grammar and, you know, how you wrote. And your ideas had to be clear and concise. And I remember after going over this whole test and and finishing it, I made an effort to finish quicker so I could go to the back of the blue book and talk about how Stanford University was going to get obliterated by USC because on that weekend, there was a football game between (laughs) them two. And I, you know, Stanford University has a, it's a, it's a tree. It's a tree. That's their mascot kind of thing. And I, I drew a picture of a broken tree. And I said, that, that's going to be you all the way after Sunday. And, but because we had that kind of interaction, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and he wrote something like, hey, buddy, don't forget I'm still grading your paper. Oh, no. <laughs> it was all banter between us. But I thought every student had that kind of interaction with their, their professors. He was such a great professor that this, this huge university came and, and offered him outstanding proposal yeah an outstanding job proposal and a bunch of money for further research and that kind of thing so he took it but i had the opportunity should i say i had the opportunity to have him as a professor when he was in his prime and i really loved that and i i wish every student who went to college or university had that right and so kudos to la sierra university which is where we attended here in california it, it makes me as a professor, it makes me want to be better every day. Anyways, we're going to stop right here. But before that, I want to thank all of you who are listening to the show. We hope we are providing you lots of content. And hey, our audience around the world is growing so much. We have some interesting news for you. Hankel just put together an entire episode dedicated to students abroad who are looking forward to studying in the United States. So she's going to talk about how to secure a student visa, the whole process of coming to study here, etc. So that is going to be coming up soon within the next couple of weeks. We have been super busy. These are the busiest times in our careers. A new semester has just started. I am teaching a bunch of classes and we are turning College Metropolis into a nonprofit 
And that means that we are going to be able to raise funds from donors around the country and provide you guys with a bunch of other things that we have planned to provide you with. Different organizations have reached out to us and have asked us to become guest speakers. And we were just recently asked to be the keynote speakers at this huge summer camp that is being put together in the summer of this year, where there's going to be nothing but teenagers from Southern California, from public high schools, and we are going to address them. So we are super excited about that. Hey, listen, don't forget to please take 20 seconds of your day and leave us a five-star review, a five-star, give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you use to listen to us. And if you can, please leave us a positive review. That would help us be at the top of the search engines when people look for college admissions podcast and it also makes us feel really nice <laughs> it makes us feel like a trillion dollars we, we have uh gotten to a point where if if we see that message at three in the morning we go wake up oh, the I, other I one. wake you up yeah I know. And babe, say, babe you gotta see this look how nice yeah i love <laughs> so it. we appreciate any time you you can spend writing us a, a nice message yeah because it, it helps other people find us easier the, the platform so whatever you know if it's stitcher or apple podcast they see that people are actually reviewing the podcast positively and they actually bring us up when anytime somebody looks for this content they say up oh, go ahead and listen to these guys anyways everybody i hope you guys are doing well keep it up in school do the best you can and meet every single objective so that you can make your college dreams a reality We'll see you guys again on episode number 83. See you guys. See ya. Thank you for listening to the College Metropolis podcast on collegemetropolis.com.